Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Odorico and we've got a great show for you this Thursday evening, November 17th. We're already just over the halfway mark in November and uh, before long we're going to be uh, celebrating a new year. So just a few shows left for the year. Uh, I'm not going to have one obviously just uh, for next week because of um, Thanksgiving and then we'll have a couple of more shows uh, in December and then we'll take a, a well-deserved break until uh, early in January, and I'll, I'll announce the, the dates uh, a little bit later. But um, anyways, welcome to the show. For those of you tuning in, of course, we are live uh, every Thursday evening, unless otherwise stated, uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time or uh, 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast. Um, best way to find us, go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And always at the top of the page, of course, the current show. And for some reason, if you're not able to tune in live, not a problem, just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and you can scroll down to the uh, on-demand section, and that's where all of the previously aired shows are recorded, and uh, they always have the most current, uh, again, at the top of the, uh, the list. So um, again, but for those of you tuning in live, welcome to the show, and thank you. Uh, of course, we're going to start off, as always, with a great uh, uh, Coach's Corner panel. I got many of my favorites on tonight. Clint Wright, Pete Buchanan, and Brian Dobby uh, are joining the panel tonight. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, uh, Dr. Frank Fornari. Uh, he's the Chief Executive Office, uh, Officer excuse me, of Biomech Golf. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what he uh, has been working on for the last several years. Uh, on, and uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more depth when he comes on in the second half of the show. Uh, for those of you that want to call in, we'd love to... Uh, hear from you you can reach me out at uh, area code 646-716-4667 uh, or you can email your questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and of course as always uh, update on social media on facebook.com go to facebook.com forward slash golf talk live blog and that's the, the main page for the program and you can uh, post your comments and, and any uh, information that you want uh, pertaining to the show and you can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, and of course CEO is in capital letters. As I mentioned, I've got three great gentlemen on the show tonight. They've all been on here many, many times in the past, and uh, I'm going to read out just a little bit about each of them. Uh, Clint Wright, of course, he's, as I said, been on many, many times. He's a 30-year member of the PGA, as well as a partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach, which he's talked about many, many times on the show as well. And uh, one of my favorite guests... Another favorite, of course, is Pete Buchanan, uh, founder and director of instruction and the owner of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace uh, that he uh, has talked about as well on the show. And he's been teaching as well over 30 years uh, and uh, glad to have him aboard. And, of course, last but certainly not least, uh, another good friend, Mr. Brian Dobby. He's a PGA member and currently the director of instruction 
at Montclair Golf Club in West Orange, New Jersey. Many accomplishments uh, under this young man's uh, belt. Uh, he was the New Jersey PGA uh, included in the, as the Assistant of the Year in 2005 Award, 2010 Junior Golf Leader Award, and the 2012 Teacher of the Year Award, as well as many other uh, great accomplishments. Uh, guys, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here, Ted. Hey. Thanks, Ted. Ted, thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Not a pro- not a problem. Always uh, always good to have you guys on, and, and I appreciate, uh, as I've said many, many times, um, you know, I, I'm very uh, honored to have you guys join me here on the panel discussions and I know it's not always easy, as, as we all have other commitments to do, so I, I appreciate you guys giving up your time. Um, as I mentioned off-air, guys, um, we're, we're going to start off with a question that was funny enough that just before we went live, uh, probably about 30 minutes ago, uh, I responded to a message on Facebook um, from a follower who uh, had, a, had this question. He's from uh, Dallas, Texas. His name is Mike Tyler, and uh, this is the question he has uh, for us tonight. And we'll see if we can help him out. And I'm going to actually go on social media. I'm hoping he's going to be tuning in tonight. But in case not, I told him I would go on social media later and post up some of the, the comments that we, we feed back. So um, this is not really ge- uh, generally at anybody. So whoever wants to chime in first, be, by all means, uh, go ahead. Um, here's the question. Uh, Ted, after 30 years as a scratch golfer, I just started hitting pulls, dead left and dead straight pulls. Uh, can't uh, seem to stop. He's uh, indicated that about 25% of his shots are perfect, um, and the other 75% are dead left, uh, basically out in the lumber yard, as he said. And he wants to know, are there any suggestions? So, um, guys, the, the floor is open. Anyone want to chime in first? I'll jump in on that, Ted. Um, you know, it sounds like Mike's a good player. He said he's a scratch, scratch golfer. The first thing I look for when um, people – have polls, um, especially good players, is a look at their alignment. So uh, I'd recommend Mike to uh, make sure he's not aimed too far to the right. Um, You know, being a good player of his, I'm sure he works the club uh, down and inside a little bit. So he might just be aiming a little bit too far to the right and and working it back to his target. And that's what typically good players do. They, They tend to work that club back to the target. But I would look at that first, Ted. Okay. Um, well said, Brian. Uh, Clint or, or Pete, anyone uh, want to jump in as well? I've got some thoughts as well I want to share, but uh, I'll let you guys go, go ahead, first. Uh, Clint? Pete, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Pete. Well, I think one of the things you would look at, too, uh, you know, uh, good players, you, you know, tend to have some pretty good movements going on. A lot of times they can they can carry the shoulders and the club together on the through swing a little bit too matched, and so he could be getting the path a little bit outside, uh, you know, along with the other point of alignment could be it. But I've seen a lot of players who, you know, just all of a sudden they begin to match the shoulders and arms in a move and the downswing, and, you know, they begin to start swinging a little bit, uh, you know, from out to in. And so, you know, we'd also have to look at, you know, if the divots are getting deep, then we know it's getting a little bit steep on that regard too. And so, um, you know, just to be, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the contact itself, and, and I think some of the things you could do is just, you know, get a get a visual of the path he wants to swing the club on, and uh, you know, take some practice swings, use some alignment sticks, and just get himself back into, you know, getting the club uh, in his visual, you know, where he wants to swing it. Again, well said. Um, and and Clint, uh, I know you've got uh, some thoughts as well. How about uh, sharing them? Well, I, I wouldn't argue with anything that that was just said. I mean, I think you'd it could be a number of things, but. You don't want to start guessing. I think he's got to take a look at all those. But 
Um, I'd get it on video from behind it to see mm-hmm. if he's got the club going outside. A lot of times you see a good player that's trying to make sure he can get the club down and inside, takes the club outside some. But I know when I start doing that, I tend to have my backswing gets a little too short. Shoulders don't get fully mm-hmm. turned. So on the downswing, my left shoulder's off the line too early. And yep. that's going yeah, to open up for a pull. Right. Um, um, so I, I would I would maybe, you know, get it on video and, and make sure that that when he hits the good shots compared to the pulls, that his backswing and turn is matching up. He could be mm-hmm. getting a little short and uh, more. You know, good players tend to, to have, like you said, a little bit of alignment problems. We all do. But generally speaking, I, the better players I've worked with, it comes down to, to timing and transition into the downswing. They right. get a little off right. pace sometimes. Uh, so that's yeah, where it, I was. Excuse me. Yeah, I would agree. And, and and you've each really kind of touched on some different things. And, and I kind of along the same ideas. And here's just some of the thoughts that I put together. And, and by all means, if, if you agree or disagree or, or want to add to it. But um, – you know, I, I agree that one of the things that you want to look at is, is alignment. But the other thing, too, that I think with, with better players, and, and Pete, you touched a little bit about this, is, is about the shoulders as well. Um, I, I would like to, to, to watch the right shoulder a little bit. Sometimes, uh, instead of moving down, they tend to go out towards the ball. In other words, um, their, their right shoulder tends to sort of pop out a little bit, and that creates that out-to-in uh, swing pass. So, obviously, it sounds because – and, again, he didn't indicate there's any curvature on the ball. It seems to be just a straight shot. Um, which would indicate to me, of course, his club face is, is obviously seems to be square. Um, but I, I would suspect that there's a couple of things here that could be happening. One, I think, as I mentioned, I think his right shoulder is, is popping out a little bit, and he's coming out instead of in a downward uh, motion. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is, and that could be a result of this, is overactive arms and hands. In other words, he's not engaging the big muscles uh, and I, I'm not sure Clint or, or, or Brian or who, who uh, indicated this, but um, sort of a disconnect between the lower body and upper body, and that sometimes happens as well. Uh, he could be rushing his downswing from the upper body, and uh, in other words, and that forcing that cutting across the, the ball. And of course, because he has a square club face and he's now aiming and pulling hard to the left, uh, he's going to get that, that uh, pulled shot. So here's a couple suggestions that I would do if I was him. Um, again, Clint, I agree with you. Get, let's get it on video. Um, but also what I would do is I would set an alignment stick out uh, maybe a yard or so out uh, in line with his target, right along the, the, the target line. And what I would do is I would work at hitting the ball uh, and moving my path from a little further inside and swing out to the right of that uh, alignment stick. In other words, I would force it a little bit so instead of trying to hit down the target line, I would force it from a little bit more inside and out to the right a little bit just to make sure that he's getting that, that right shoulder in a little bit more and down through the ball and not putting it out. So those are a couple things that I would do. But definitely, as you said, Clint, I think getting it on video uh, is key because really we don't know. We're, we're kind of guessing a little bit based on some of the, the common scenarios. But uh, any other comments or, or agreements or disagreements there? I think you're right on the mark. I mean, Absolutely. you talk about the right shoulder. I basically am talking about keeping the left shoulder down the target line longer. Ends up being right. the same thing. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, it, it, it's sometimes right. It's sometimes difficult too, guys. I mean, you know, we're not visually seeing 
um, what Mike is doing. So, uh, again, we're taking sort of some of the commonalities that, that we see uh, in, in a lot of uh, some of the better players. But I think that those tend to be, as, as each of you uh, touched on and, and I sort of reaffirmed, um, are, are some of the key areas. So I'm going to make sure when I get back uh, after the show and, and post uh, my comments that, you know, I give a little bit of uh, from each of you here. And uh, hopefully, Mike, if you're listening to the show now, um, those are some things that, that you need to be looking at. And uh, obviously, you've been a good player for many, many years. And uh, so you're, you must be doing something right if you've been playing scratch for, for a number of years. Um, I, I want to move on to the next uh, question here that I've got for you guys tonight. And the question really is, uh, feel is real or is it? Uh, and I want to clarify what I mean by that. I'm not necessarily talking about... Um, you know, feeling the the golf shot, um, but what a golfer should feel uh, when making a good swing. And, and Clint, I'm going to start with you on this because I know working on the short game, um, you know, we obviously want to control distances and things like that, but there's, there's a certain feel, I think, for most players. Um, and, and I want to talk about that sense of feel. First off, is it real? Uh, you know, is there such a thing as as sort of feeling the shot. Um, some people say yes. There's some people that have come out now and said, well, you know, it really isn't feel. It's all mechanics and so on and so forth. So I want your, your thoughts and input on that. Well, I'm going to weigh in on the side that feel is real. Uh, okay. Without a doubt. I mean, I think there, there's a number of things, particularly in the short game uh, and the long mm-hmm. game too. I mean, is it I know that I try to get a person, and I do this in my game, I'm sure most good players do, there's a little bit of intuition that goes into the, the, the rhythm and the distance flow of the shot. But I've always tried to work with people to understand and feel the rhythm of the stroke that they feel like that will give them the pace to carry the ball where they want it to. And that, you have to feel that. That's not mechanical. Certainly right. there's, there's mechanical technique to make impact on the ball. We, we can't slight that. But in order to right. get the base and the feel of how far the ball is going to go, to me that's a 100% feel. And mm-hmm. you, you eventually can work in some benchmarks like we would on full swings, you know, 8-iron 150 or 5-iron 175. You've developed benchmarks for what clubs to use there. But the feel of the shot still comes down to rhythm and pace and, and some intuition about how the ball is going to react. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, so to me what I try to feel – physically feel in my stroke is the the rhythm and the pace of the swing, particularly in the short game to feel the, you know, we we use some real general terms here. You want to kind of feel the flow of the, of the shot and the, and the momentum of the club coming through towards your target that, that basically will give you some intuition and feel on how far that's going to make the ball carry. Right. So my, my feel aspect is rhythm and pace. Yeah, so well said. I'm, I'm on the real side. Okay. Um, Pete, same question to you. Uh, feel is real or is it? Let me just clarify a couple things here first um, before I get you to respond. And, and the reason why I ask this is because, I, and I think we all know this, you know, when you're dealing with different golfers, you know, if you've got, as example, if you've got two golfers that may be making the same move in the swing, um, yet have a totally different feel, uh, it feels different from one from player A to player B. So I think as, as coaches and, and as uh, teach professionals, uh, it's up to us to sort of help the student translate either a visual or verbal instruction uh, into feel. So um, we need to be asking the students, um, you know, what it feels like to them. What does that particular move or that shot feel like to them? 
uh, as opposed to us sort of saying, well, this is what it should feel like. Um, do you want to answer it from that perspective, Pete? Well, sure. I'm, I'm on the real side too, but you know, I'm, I'm a big time visual um, person when it comes to instruction, a cause and effect mm-hmm. off of ball flight. And so many times, you know, it, it becomes a visual aspect first of trying to see what they're trying to do, looking at where the club's going to go, what position they're going to put it in, and then working those visuals into a balanced swing. And, and a lot of this, this feel for me is balance. Um, it goes a lot with the rhythm that, uh, that Clinton was talking about. But I'm, I'm more of working those two together with visual and, and feel and real, you know, all together in the same thing. And, and getting them to understand what they see. Um, because a lot of times when you're trying to change something, you know, they're, they're going to make swings that, in their own words, are going to feel different, but they're getting the ball flight they right. want. So it takes a little right. bit for them to, to get comfortable with that. So on a visual standpoint, they can see the impact that, that is happening because of what the ball's doing, and that helps generate into some feel for what they're trying to do. And uh, I, I think if they can keep a good eye on what the ball's doing and seeing what's going on. And not only that, I mean, I, I use a ton of drills, so they're always visual on where the club's going and where they're going to put it, and then we, you know, move that into one singular motion. But, um, yeah, I, I think if from, from a visual standpoint, and, you know, each person is going to see it a little bit different, but it can still relate into the same feel for each player. Right, exactly. And, and again, well said. Um Brian, I, I want you to also chime in. I, I mean, I know I don't want us to obviously to be too repetitive here, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you concur with both of the other gentlemen. But what are some things that you do with your students up at Montclair that help them to understand? Um, and again, as teacher professionals, we're not trying to tell them how they should feel. Um, we may use some examples of our own, uh, you know, uh, personal situations to, to, to describe it perhaps. Um, but essentially we want the students to feel the various movements and, and uh, as Clint put it, the, sort of the flow, if you will. Um, what are some things that you do working when working with your students up in, in at Montclair? Sure, Ted. Well, for, first off, I agree with Pete and Clint. Um, you know, feel, feel is real. I love the visual aspect that Pete was uh, tying into it. Um, I, I just think, I, I like to ask my students, what did that feel like to you? I, I think during a lesson, asking the right questions um, is important. And, and I know my feel for golf is going to be different than my students, and it's important to get them to um, tell you what they're feeling. You know, what, what did that shot feel like, especially in the short game? There's so many delicate mm-hmm. shots we hit at Montclair and any place for that matter that – you, you know, you're, you're feeling the club face. You're feeling the loft of the club face, and it's tied into your hands. And I, I, I think, I think probably most players feel that more in their hands in the short game, and then in the full swing. I, I just think there's so many triggers that people could be working on, um, especially good players. Some of them feel their lower body more than their hands, and some of them feel the club head more. I, I like to feel where the club head is. As it, as, as it swings around my body. And I, I try to bring that out of my students when I'm teaching them, whether it's the full swing or the, the short game, what did that feel like to you? And, 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 and they're, they're correct, whatever they say. Mm-hmm. And, and it's important to um, let them uh, know that what they're feeling is, is correct. 
because everybody's a little bit different, but at least they, it's something they can um, center on uh, for that next swing. Um, but right. definitely, I think feel is real, Ted. De- definitely. Yeah, uh, and and I agree um, with with, with uh, all three of you on that. I think, that, and some great answers, by the way, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, my my next question is actually sort of a combination of two. Um, obviously, it, I'm sort of following a pattern here. We're going to talk about the senses a little bit tonight, and then I've got a few other questions. But I want to talk about the sense of sight and also the sense of sound and how that sort of plays in. And let me just uh, give you a couple of examples here. And, and Pete, I'm going to go back to you here, um, and, and then uh, Brian and then Clint, I'll let you uh, wrap up, and then we'll rotate it out again. Um, what I mean by the sense of sight, obviously, um, as some of you pointed out, you know, a lot of players are visual, uh, Pete, and uh, you know, a couple of great ways that we've already talked about when, in our um, answer to Mike earlier on is, you know, talked about video or, or even still pictures to give a, sort of a visual feedback. So maybe in your own uh, understanding, give, given a, um, I guess, a perspective on how important sight, the visual component is for some golfers out there. And then from the sound, um, you know, obviously there, there's different areas uh, that we can talk about here. And the one I want to really focus on is for some of those players the verbal communication, verbal instruction. So it's sort of the opposite to the sight is some are more visual and some uh, are, can understand what's going on through the uh, verbal communication from their instructor. So touch on both of those and, and how you sort of uh, tie the two together in, in, uh, in your instruction. And that's for Pete, sorry. Well, I use video most with everybody because I'm, I'm always trying to get them a good understanding of what they're trying to see and, and how it relates to, to actually what they're doing and what the ball flight's doing. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've always been down that road of, of trying to get somebody to see. And along the same line, I had a great question asked the other day. They said, how do you know your backswing's supposed to be there? I said, well, I've put it there enough times. I know what it feels like. So, right. you know, it's a matter of, of doing things in repetition to continue to put them into segments. I mean, I have a whole – you know, program that's built on on segmented drills of different positions in the swing that I think are are important for people to understand and, and where the club and the positions of the body should go. And I think as they're working through those, they can begin to to see those individual positions, and that helps create a feel for where the golf club actually is. And as far as sound goes, I mean, their golf instruction, as a matter of fact, teaching anything is communication. So the sound sure. of it is is vital um, from that perspective. I'll go down that road because if you can communicate the, the right message, and, and I always try to take the simplest message because I want to get there as quickly as I can and as simple as I can. Um, right. I, I know that, it, you know, over the years some things have gotten pretty complicated in, in some of the descriptions of things that are going on, but I've always tried to keep it very very, very simple. And, and I know for one thing for sure, the longer I've taught this game, the less I say. And so yeah. I've learned over the years how to simplify it down and, and use specific sounds, communication, so that I can get to the point as fast as possible. Yeah, and I think that, and that's a that's a, an excellent point. And Brian, I want you to to sort of uh, piggyback on that a little bit as well, because um, I, I think that that's extremely important. I think that sometimes less is more. Uh, I think obviously earlier on in our careers, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, I'm sure for a couple of reasons. I think one, we're trying to, to let them know, you know, how, how much we know about uh, the golf swing and so on. So we're, it's a little bit of a, you know, the, the chest puffed out and, and, you know, we're here, we're, we're talking about all these things. 
Um, but unfortunately, sometimes, you know, when the student's eyes start to, to glaze over uh, and, and, you know, too much information is being fed to them, uh, then we sort of defeated the purpose. So, uh, Brian, I want you to touch a little bit about uh, sight and sound. Um, again, how important are both of those uh, in, in some of your teaching? Uh, sure, Ted. Well, well, let's start with sight. And I, I like to use my video camera a lot, especially with uh, beginning golfers trying to get their motion to look like a golf swing. And if you ask any player that's never played the game before, and if you show them a picture of a, a pro swing or a, a 36 handicapper swing, they're going to be able to look at that and say, that that's what I want to swing like. They'll be able to pick out the good swing. So when I'm teaching a, a, a new golfer the movement pattern, I want them looking at themselves a lot as we make changes and say, what, what do you think of this? How's that look to you? And, and, and their feedback is telling me that, we're making progress here. They're saying, oh, that looks good. And they can see how their arms and body are working together, how their balance is getting better. So I think that's really important during a lesson. Um, And then uh, tying in what they're seeing and what they're feeling. It goes hand in hand. And then um, concerning sound, um, I I like to ask a lot of questions during a lesson lesson and, and, and ask my student, you know, what made the ball go over there? Or, or how did how did you create that ball flight? Okay, let me see you make the ball go the other way. So I I just think by giving questions and asking the right questions, the student actually takes some of the learning on themselves, and they try to figure out ball flight. And um, I, I definitely talk less now than I did you know 20 years ago when I started teaching. Uh, I've become a better listener. And I think that's right. important as a teacher, you know, listen to your students, uh, get to know what they're trying to learn and what their goals are in golf, you know. So, you know, sounds important, but um, I try to keep it to a minimum myself. Uh, right. And I, I want them being more talkative than me during a lesson for sure. Yeah, and and, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, Clint, um, you know, I want to ask you from a slightly different perspective. I mean, certainly want you to, to chime in on, on both of those, but um, I want to add to sound. Um, you know, we've all heard over the years talked about, you know, when you hit a good golf shot, there's a certain sound um, that the club makes. There's a certain sound that you hear. Um, talk about that as well in, in your answer uh, about how important that feedback is, or is it, uh, feedback that, that a, an amateur golfer can use as a gauge of, of whether they're striking the ball solidly or not. So um, talk about the other t- uh, two as, as uh, the other gentlemen have in your perspective, but then also approach sound from that angle as well. Um, is it important uh, to okay. have that, that feedback? Okay. Well, first of all, I don't ever say anything in my lessons. You know better than that. I just stand <laughs> there and watch them. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, I, the, to get into that question first is I think it kind of depends on the, the player you're working with. You know, mm-hmm. with a beginner, I, I think the visual of, you know, kind of going into the positioning where they want to be and then come right. back to your original question tonight about feel, all right? what do, I want you to feel what that is, how we got there. I want you to feel that movement to that spot. And so I think that the visual – for the beginners is more important maybe than for the advanced player. Right. Because 
really don't know what a good position looks like. So you need to show them either in pictures, show them their swing, let them take the club wherever you wanted them to take it to, and then reposition them. Get it where it's fundamentally sound. We all know that everybody swings differently, but there are obviously yep. some technical aspects that's fundamentally sound that they need to get to to find out what their swing is going to eventually be. With a better player, sometimes it's a matter of just pointing out the fact, hey, you're lining up too far to the right or you're lining up left, you're, getting, you're not square. You know, just little things are tweaking them back into the proper areas, and I think sometimes that's a little bit more verbal. Yeah, uh, to point it out to them. Now, as far as the the sound of impact, personally, I think that that I relate more to the fact of the feel in my hands when I make solid contact. We all know the difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> right. We all know that what a clinker sounds like and what a real good solid shot sounds like. So, yep. I I guess it's important just simply from a feedback standpoint. But I, I think it is, has a minimal feedback compared to what the, the ball feels like coming off the club face that's related up through the shaft into your hands. Uh, so yeah. I, I think the, the feel of impact uh, is more important than maybe the sound of impact. Um, right. But, but I, back to the original question, I think it comes down to the type of students you're working with on, on whether it's more verbal or, or, or visual. Yeah, and, and I think you're exactly right, and thank you, uh, all three of you, again, for, for some great answers. You know, I, I think just to sort of wrap up the, this this part of it, um, you know, I, I think taking videos of your students, is, in my opinion, is paramount, because there's a lot of things, even though, you know, we've been sort of taught to, to visually or on our own to see, um, you know, some of the errors of their way, for, for lack of better terms, but part of the problem is that the, the golf swing is so fast that you're not going to pick up even sometimes the most subtle things. Now, certainly as time goes on and you become a more experienced uh, coach or teacher, um, you are going to be able to, to see those things. But uh, one of the great things about video, and I'll give you an example. I took somebody out a couple of weeks ago um, here, and, you know, to the sort of the naked eye, you know, everything that he's doing looks pretty good. But when you slow down the video, when you, in fact, what I do is I will go frame by frame. I will literally go from when he addresses the ball, and I'll back it all the way up to the top and then back it all the way right through. And what was very interesting is I knew that he was having some, some issues, and I won't get into all of it right now, but basically what I discovered was that his upper body was outracing his lower body. In other words, as you talked about earlier, Clint, he wasn't able to – um, have that proper sequence. He would get up to the backswing, but his lower body was not leading. His upper body was leading. So he was uh, hitting all kinds of uh, funky shots. Well, it also showed me some other things. It showed me that his, his upper body, his arms, were not connected with his torso. They were working independently of his torso. And what was happening was they were not working in, in a, in a free-flowing motion either. So there were a lot of other things that were going on. And what that also does too, what I find is when a student is making some good shots and I can show them that on video, they've now got two things. They've got the feel of the good shot and then they've got the visual to back it up. I can say, okay, well, that, was a, that felt good in that shot. Okay, let's take a look at the video. And they can see what their body is actually doing. And I do that conversely when they've hit a bad shot. I'll let them see the video and I'll say, okay, here's what happened when you hit a bad shot. Look what the different points that we're going to go through in the video 
And then they can also feel, okay, yeah, that, that did kind of feel disjointed. So I think the visual and the feel and then also the verbal and structure is, is paramount. And I think, again, as you guys pointed out, I think what we need to do is once we establish whether they're more visual or, or somebody that needs more verbal instruction, I think we have to sort of put the ratio um, maybe for somebody that's more um, verbal instruction. We don't necessarily have to be as visual with them per se, as somebody that's more of a visual learner. So again, you know, you have to understand, and, and Brian, as, as you talked about, by asking some of these questions up front and getting a better understanding of our students uh, and listening more uh, gives us a, a better perspective. So great answer, guys, and, and hopefully I, I sum some of that up a little bit better. And I'm going to shut up now and let you guys do some more talking. So um, here's our next question, uh, and this sort of falls in line with everything we've just been talking about here tonight. Um, is teaching golf getting too uh, complicated. Clint, I'm going to start with you. Uh, yes or no, and, and either way, why? So is it getting too complicated instruction, do you think, in your opinion? Well, that's, a, that's kind of an interesting question. Um, I, I think it comes down to the instructor. I mean, you can make it very complicated. I mean, you can have all the bells and whistles and the, the launch monitors and and four angle video cameras in your indoor facility and you know yeah. check every what make sure all the spikes are are level you know you can make it as complicated as you want to but i i truly believe that as instructors we need to try to make it as simple as possible right uh, to to stay particularly with the average player out here i mean if we can just kind of stay with the with the real big things they need to do to, to play reasonably good golf, I think that's a very simple thing, guys. You got to remember, it's a ball and stick game. Yeah. You know, it's it's really not that fancy of an idea. I mean, if you read the rule book, it says you just hit a ball in succession of strokes until it's whole. It don't say how you got to hit it. You just hit it. Yeah. So if we can can stay and make our goals as instructors of trying to wrap our students into the big picture. I think it, it 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 is much simpler than sometimes that we teach it. We we often get trapped into being kind of nitpicky about mm -hmm. this that and and try to to sound like you said puff our chest out and prove what we know. Right. But in reality, I, I think it comes down to the instructor. Now, I truly believe that it's a choice that 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 golfers as players and golfers as we are as teachers of the game. We we make some legitimate choices on whether we're going to keep it simple or whether we're going to make it complicated. And the more I think we can keep it simple, our students have limited time to practice, most of them, so they have to focus sure. their attention on the big picture. So we, yeah, I think it's, with all the technology, I think from the time I started teaching the, now, it's much easier to make it complicated than it was 30 years ago. Right. You know? Um yeah, Certainly. and I and I agree, and, and, and yeah, and don't and don't, um, and I want the listeners out there to not misunderstand what we're talking about here. Um, and I've said many, many times, I think there's a, a place for for some of the technology that's out there, and some of the different theories that that uh, have been worked on. And I'm all for it. I think it's great. Um, it, it gives the instructors a, a better grasp of things. Pete, um, I know that you uh, obviously use different equipment and things like that in your teaching, and obviously uh, in addition to video, but also your uh, your, your swing brace and, and so forth. So it's important to have some of that technology and some of those uh, training aids available. 
Um, but I, I like what you said as well earlier about keeping it simple. And uh, I think that, you know, at a high level of instruction, um, and what I mean by that is when you're working with a higher level player, maybe a tour player who understands all of the fundamentals, uh, fundamentals, excuse me, um, you know, I think you can afford to get a little bit more technical and a little bit more uh, involved in some of the training aspects because they already understand the basics. You don't have to keep it simple with them. They're looking to elevate at a, at a much higher level than many of our amateurs are. So, um, Pete, what about your thoughts? Uh, in, in some ways, you kind of concur with Clint. It, it can be too complicated at times for some of the amateurs? Well, there's no question it can be too complicated. I mean, as you know, I agree with what he said, it depends on the instructor. You know, my background, I was fortunate enough to, to spend some time with the John Jacobs schools and spend some time with John himself. And John only knows one way to teach, and that's simple. He doesn't know any other way. As a matter of fact, everything right. he does is simple. And it, it becomes infectious when you hang around that environment. And so I, I believe in looking at the game overall today. I think the golf swing has moved to too much coordinated body sequencing and it's moved away from cause and effect. And I mm-hmm. think that's where the complication has begun to come in. I think cause and effect isn't taught anymore to the instructors as it used to be. And I think because right. of that, you get somebody that goes into a swing and all of a sudden it's all about moving all over the place. But, you know, you could really simplify it if you only made the changes that are going to affect the impact into what you're trying to get done. So I think if, for me, looking uh, from from an overall outside in uh, position, you know, I'm I'm I come from the simple basic background. That's the way I was taught, and right, you know, I've always been cause and effect ball flight. That's that's how I do everything, and I use the technology. I you know I use it all, but I I use it uh, only for you know getting to the basics of what's going on, and then I keep it simple in the as I bring it to each student, but. But to me, I, I think it, uh, it, it's my opinion, obviously, but I think it boils down to I think cause and effect has been pushed aside, and I think if it comes back, um, I, I think we'll find that it'll turn towards being a little bit more simple uh, than, than it can get. Right, uh, and I agree. Well said. Um, Brian, I know that you've got a lot of members up at Montclair, and, and uh, I'm sure – you know, a lot of them uh, sometimes get wrapped up in, in a technology that's out there. And again, I, I, let me just preface this. I, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm complaining that the technology is bad, but I think really, and, and I'm sort of sensing this from the other two, that uh, it has a place. Uh, in other words, it's great for helping us as professionals to diagnose some of the, the issues that we may be faced with uh, in our players, um, but it's not meant to, to overshadow some of the, the general basics that uh, that we've been taught growing up as instructors. So, um, Brian, touch on a little bit about uh, at, at Montclair what what you try to how you try to find that balance and and prevent it from being too complicated for some of your members. Well, it, it's funny, Ted. I've got a sign in my studio that says "Keep it simple," and that's always been my motto teaching golf. Um, and and I think we as as we know as instructors. You know, we ought to be able to get somebody to hit a golf ball with, with you know, ball flight and, and, and the fundamentals we grew up with. Um, I, I think um, the information that's out there today for the average player complicates things at times because I know a lot of my students get into overanalyzing, overreading, overwatching, and that 
that hurts their golf swing sometimes. And, and when they come to me for a lesson, we just have to back away, back, you know, let's go back to basics, you know, give me something simple, let's get it going, get your confidence going. So um, there, there's a fine line between that. I don't, I don't think teaching golf is too complicated, though, to ask you, to answer your first question. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I just I just think with the technology out there, that, that's great knowledge for us as teachers. We, we know things right. about the golf swing we didn't know 30 years ago, and, and that, that can definitely accelerate somebody's learning uh, and help, help us teach today. That's important. Um, but, but the golf game, you know, it, it's like um, Clint said, it's a stick and a ball. It's, you know, it's, if you, we understand a few common uh, concepts and principles, it's, it's, it's really a simple action that we turn into a complicated uh, movement uh, along through the years. Uh, but I, I right. try to keep it as simple as I can in Montclair, and anybody that's taking a lesson from me knows uh, my style, and I, I just mm. try to keep it – I try to get it as simple as I can. Right, and, and I agree with that as well. Um, and, again, you know, we're not trying to say that, uh, that, that the technology and, and some of the things out there that we're seeing in the industry today uh, don't certainly have a place, but I, I think that – you know some of the the advanced areas uh, in in the golf swing today that we see, and, and some of the, the formulas that they're working with, um, really can be better applied. I think to to some of the and and it's good. I think it's as, as you pointed out, Brian. I think it's good um, that we're seeing things, um, you know, that are that maybe we didn't understand about the golf swing uh, thirty or so years ago. But at the same time, I think there's a danger. Um, that we get the students too wrapped up into it. And, um, you know, if they're not sophisticated enough, and I, what I mean by that is if they're not advanced enough in their game to be able to sort of, you know, uh, address some of the things that, that we can get into technology with, um, then they get they, it becomes complicated for them and they get frustrated because they, they just can't get it. It's kind of like, um, you know, taking, uh, you know, a general math student and then, um, you know, putting them in in an extremely advanced, um, you know, um, advanced class, uh, it, it's not always easy to to make that transition. So, um, great answers, guys. Um, another question I've got for you guys, and, and Clint, I'm going to start back with you if that's all right. Um, hey. My question is: is it, is it normal for beginning golfers uh, learning to elevate their game to get worse before they get better? Is that sort of a normal trend, do you think, um, for, for beginning golfers particularly, that uh, for those that want to you know, become better players, is it pretty common for them to get a little bit worse before they get better? I've, I've had that question asked to me before. You're asking me? Yes, Clint, sorry. Okay. I don't, I, don't quite, I don't quite see it that way. I mean, a beginning player is not going to be very good anyway. Right. Generally speaking. Uh, so there's probably not a lot of room for them to get worse. Right now, I can see where maybe an intermediate player sure. um, that has got some established scoring pattern that wants to go in and improve their technique or improve their their fundamental, you know, uh, positioning. Now they may see a drop off in their scoring uh, mm-hmm. in a transition of making a different, uh, taking a different approach to making ball contact. I could see that. Yeah, I, I, okay. but as far as just a ranked beginner, I, I just don't see where there's much room for beginner to get worse. 
Right. Uh, and certainly an advanced player would most likely see a small drop-off when they're trying to, to, to take a new move to the course. Maybe the confidence is not quite there yet. Right. Um, you know, so I, I could see that. But not from a beginner standpoint, no, I wouldn't think. No, and I, I would agree with that as well. Um, and and uh, I think, you know, Pete and, and Brian, you probably uh, agree along those uh, lines as well, uh, guys. Oh, I, I think um, I, I definitely agree with that, um, especially for beginners. Um, they're starting out um, with hardly any ball flight at all, and I, I think they should be able to improve more quickly uh, with some good instruction. You know, get them hitting the ball mm-hmm. better and uh, get their confidence going. They, they should def- definitely get better sooner, I think. Yeah, right. Than, than worse. Right. Right. Um, Pete, I want to ask you a a different question here. Just, uh, again, uh, trying to not be too repetitive here. I think it's a fairly straightforward. I think you probably agree with what the other two guys just said uh, on the earlier question. I think that, you know, beginning golfers, obviously we're looking to see um, quicker improvement. And and as Clint pointed out, maybe when we get to our intermediate uh, golfers who have a little bit more skill involved, uh, maybe they're you know, being taught a, a specific move or, or, or what have you um, might see some drop in, in their scoring in that. But uh, the question I want to ask from you is um, we, we've seen this uh, methodology before, and I want to get your thoughts on this, the pros and cons of teaching golf from the finished position to address. And what I mean by that is that the golf swing in reverse. Uh, what are some of the uh, pros and cons of teaching somebody um, from, a, from a finished position back to, to, uh, to the address position? Is that a good idea to teach students like that? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, I I don't do it that way because, to me, I think if, if everything else is done right, the finish will take care of itself. Um, mm-hmm. um, I've always taught it that way. To uh, I wouldn't say whether it was, you know, if somebody does that, if it's if it's successful, then it is, you know, it's good for them. It's, it's a way to do it. Um, I've done some things of drills where I've, you know, started it from the top and, and reversed it. So I think in that regard, it can be um, something that can be very helpful. But for me, um, as far as looking at the ball flight, looking at cause and effect and getting things in the right place, um, I, I've always been one that if, if, if uh, I've, I'll use this phrase, if the backswing's correct, all that follows must therefore be correct. And a lot of those things will take care of themselves. Um, I'm, I'm big on getting, you know, posture angles and things that address set so the balance is there so that when we move the club, a lot of things are going to happen on their own. And so I would be more in, into that, you know, I, I, to me the finish is going to be a result and not something that um, I, I would work, you know, backward to. But, uh, you know, that's just the way I do it. Right. Um, well said. Um, guys, I want to, again, because we're, we're getting close to our time here, um, and and – before we before I move on to the next one, if, if either Brian or Clint, if you want to add to to what Pete just said about that particular question, uh, let, go ahead and jump in. If not, I'll, I'll move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah I can't I'll add anything. I said, sorry, Clint, Clint you go want ahead. to go? Go ahead. No, I just said I I can't add anything to that. I agree with everything he said. I mean, that was perfect answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, same here. Same I here. Agree okay. With that, one. that was great. All right. Um, Brian, I'm going to let you uh, start with this one, and then, then Clint, I'll let you throw in some, some comments as well, and, and uh, obviously Pete as well, since we've got just a few moments left. Um, my last question is this. Uh, mistakes on the golf course. 
um, from amateurs and pros. What are some of the common mistakes that we see out on the, and I'm talking about in the course, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, um, their golf swing specifically. I'm talking about some of the common mistakes that many of the amateurs make, and then maybe some uh, mistakes that some of the pros make as well that we've seen out there that maybe amateurs could learn from. Uh, Brian, I'll let you start first, and then Clint, and then Pete. Sure. I, I think um, what I see out of the amateurs, mistakes they make, I, I think number one, it's under clubbing. Um, when I'm out in a playing lesson and stuff, I'm always curious to see what clubs uh, players are using. And nine times out of ten, they're not hitting enough club. And I think the average player is always thinking of their best shot when they approach a green right. or whatever. And, and they're forgetting that golf's a game of misses and that you know, that, that great seven iron that goes 165 is only going to go 155 uh, most of the time. So that that's number one. Um, the other thing for the amateur golfers is on the course, I don't think they really have a routine, whereas, you know, if you look, watch pros play, they stick to their routine, they visualize the shot, and they stick to that routine, and I think that's like a trigger um, to, to get mm-hmm. you into a nice groove, a good rhythm, and most amateurs, they don't work on a routine, something that can be re- repetitive for them out there. So those two um, areas, um, you know, if they worked on that, they would definitely play better, especially hitting more club. Um, right. And for, for the for the pros, um, you know, watching watching pros play, it's it's very rhythmic. Okay, they they they've got a routine. They 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 commit to their shots more than the amateur players, and and they're definitely um, after a bad shot, they deal with the shot differently than amateurs. Um, pros tend to look at a miss as an opportunity to you know get up and down, or I'm still going to make a four here. Whereas too many amateurs hit a bad shot, and it it tends to ruin their hole or their round, and they need to get back into the present. I think pros do a much better job of staying in the moment, sticking to their routine, sticking to their process, and they're really not worried about the results as much as amateurs, Ted. Yeah, no, and, and that's a great point because um, you're exactly right. I think a lot of amateurs can really derail around, especially if they start off um, you know, the first couple of holes. Obviously, most players, even the pros uh, on some level, uh, maybe not as much as the amateurs, obviously, but um, you know it takes a couple of holes to kind of get warmed up and get into your rhythm. Um, but for amateurs, if they start off with two or three bad holes, it pretty much sets the tone for their whole round. And uh, if they start off with a good couple of holes, uh, whether they part or not, um, but they they're comfortable with their play for those first few holes, then it kind of sets the tone. Um, Clint, what about you? Um, some of the mistakes uh, made out in course from the amateurs, and and what about the pros? Well, I, I I would agree with what was just said. We call them a little different things. I mean, you know, I, I think most most of us underplay shots. He called under clubbing, yep. underplaying them or overplaying. Um, I, I think with an amateur player compared to the professional, is that the the amateur player is going out to have fun. If they're going out to score, they get to the first tee box or really without a plan on how they're going to play today. Uh, where the touring professional or the better players don't, they have a plan on how they're going to play the golf course today. Um, mm. But also the amateur player, I believe it always goes back to how they've prepared the week or two of their practice, that the the tour player knows if he misses the green, he can get it up and in. The the average right. player doesn't 
enough time with that aspect of the game to be able to get away with a bad shot, like you say, play into their their emotions in the first few holes. They don't hit good shots. They don't get the ball up and in, or they play badminton back and forth across the green because they haven't prepared for that aspect of their game as well as the tour players do. And so I, I think he was right on the money. But from a tour player standpoint, I, I think it's more that they uh, – you know, they do stay in the moment better. Uh, we tend to want to step up and hit it as quick as we can. But I think that they have more uh, trouble sometimes controlling their emotions. Right. Than we may think. Um, they have a caddy there that's trying to help them do that. But I think that they they know how to hit the shots. They, they could stand on the practice tee all day and hit that seven iron just the way they want to. But in that moment, like was just said, they stay in the moment. But sometimes that moment is too big for them, mm-hmm. and, and they, they don't quite control their emotions, or maybe the adrenaline's flowing too high. That's an emotional issue. So I think the biggest mistakes the tour players make is simply uh, getting out of that moment and, and letting the moment of where they're standing take over their game versus them controlling yeah. themselves and staying in that moment as it would be at any time. Yeah, uh, that, so, that's... Uh, yeah, that's a great answer. No, you're you're exactly right, and and I like that because, um, you know, you're right. The, the, there's obviously we know that there's difference between your amateurs and professionals. That's that's why they're playing in in the the level that they're playing. Um, but there are certainly differences to the mistakes. Um, you know, as we pointed out a few moments ago, with the amateurs, um, it kind of sets the tone for the round. With the professionals, uh, it, it affects them more emotionally. I think, um, and that's not to say that emotions don't get high uh, with our amateur players, but they're expecting not to play. Um, sometimes they actually, do, to their own detriment, they get out there knowing that they maybe haven't been hitting at the range very well the last few times out. So they're kind of uh, premeditating what's going to happen out in the golf course. Um, mm-hmm. Pete, just some final thoughts along that lines. Um, you know, I, I think with the amateurs too, one thing that I would like to see them doing uh, that I think the pros do is they know where they're going the next week. The pros know that they're playing, you know, such and such uh, tournament next week. They know the course that they're going to be playing on. If they've never played there, obviously there's a bit of a disadvantage. But if they played that course before, um, they can sort of get a game plan, and they they know what conditions tend to be at that particular area. If it's a a link-style course or if it's a traditional course, if it's on a coast or inland, uh, there could be, you know, weather issues or wind could be a factor, depending on what the circumstances are. Um, So they'll better prepare themselves. Amateurs tend not to do that as much. They get out there, they could be playing, as uh, Brian, as you've got uh, members up at the Montclair Club, they're playing that same course. They should, after a while, have a better understanding of how to prepare for it. Um, Pete, what about along those lines? Would that be a fair assessment as well, that the pros are preparing a little bit better, um, knowing the course is going in better than, than what some of our amateurs are? Oh, without question. Um, you know, the you know, even just showing an amateur what a what a tour player's you, you know yardage book looks like. I mean, it's just yeah. you know they're so prepared for what they're doing. Um, I, I like what Clint said. You know, amateurs go out there with no plan. You know, they they don't you know they don't look at the golf course and and set it set it up for for what they're doing. You know, a lot of times for my my high school players, I will actually you know go on Google and actually get the exact holes so I can see them in a picture and we'll plot a plan to play each individual hole you know giving them yeah. a, you know a a routine to go through and and what they're going to do on each one of the holes 
And I think a lot of times with amateurs, I, I think they think of the consequence before they hit it. You know, they're already mm-hmm. saying, you know, if I miss this putt, i got to buy lunch for the third Saturday in a row. You know, they're already, <laughs> right. putting, you know, that pressure on them, you know, so they're right. already they're already lost in what they're doing because, you know, they they just, they're asking themselves or looking for the miss where, you know, the pros don't do that. I mean, they see the shot, they know what they want to do and, and they go to pull it off. But I think a lot of times too, um, and I see this in a lot of, because uh, I'm working with some tour players that, um, you know, they're on the lower tours. And I think too many times they try to play too many different shots. And yeah. and I've got one in particular that every time there's a double bogey on the scorecard, I say, I bet you you tried to, to hit a draw off the tee, didn't you? And every time he tries to hook one off the tee, he makes a double bogey. And, you know, it's just that mindset of, you know, I've, I've got to shape that shot. I've got to shape the shot. The hole goes right to left. It goes left to right. Well, you know, if you're playing well, that's one thing. But, you know, too many times I think they try to play too many different shots, and I think it ends up yeah. it ends up trying to, to, to get after them in that round. So, But definitely with the amateurs, I think if they could get a plan together, I think it would really help them. You know, uh, Pete, that's an excellent point that you just made about, uh, and I agree. I think even at the, you know, particularly at the pro level, you know, a lot of the young uh, guys coming up on tour now. You know, I remember, you know, reflecting back to players like Jack, uh, you know, Nicholas, and, and others. Um, you know, Jack had a specific shot in his bag that he knew he was comfortable with. He knew that he, he could, you know, pull it out at any time, and that's what he stuck with. That's what he knew, and he adapted to the course conditions, of course. Um, but if a hole didn't favor his eye in that, he didn't try to bend, you know, a shot in a different direction that he knew he was not going to be successful at. So he would play the hole to the best of his ability and move on until he got a hole that, that, you know, suited his eye better. And I think that one of the things, if I would have a criticism about some of the professionals out there uh, in today's game, is that they're trying to have too many shots in their bag. And they're really not mastering any. Um, They're certainly good, don't get me wrong. But I think you should have, you know, be a master of one as opposed to a master of none. And I think that, you know, if you can recall it, you know, Tiger had that stinger uh, that he would hit off the tee. So if his driver was, which quite often would happen, was not uh, hitting the fairway, you know, he would pull out his two iron and he'd hit that little stinger down there. It would keep it low and and, uh, he'd still get plenty of distance, uh, you know, for most of the holes that he was playing. Um, But it was a controlled shot. And he knew what it, the outcome of that shot every single time he hit it. So that would sort of be his go-to. And I know he had some other things, I'm sure, in his bag as well. But that was particularly a shot that I used to see him hit quite often um, playing some of the different golf courses. So, um, And again, amateurs, you know, I think out there, as, as you guys have pointed out, um, they, just, they tend to be doing things to their own detriment. They tend to derail themselves. Um, one of the criticisms that I mentioned earlier is, a lot of the golf, uh, you know, students out there, they, they get out there without being properly prepared. And I know that they don't have the same time uh, allotted to them as the pros have, but good gosh, if you're going to go out and play, especially if you're playing in a Brian in a club championship, don't you want to get out there and, and practice and work on some of the things that you might be faced and challenged with? Oh, no, no doubt about that. You know, it, it was funny. I, I, the, the PGA was at Ballsroll this year, and I, I got to work the event on Monday. And I, I couldn't um, – w- what really blew me away was how much these guys actually work on their games when I was there. And it's, it, it's, it's nonstop. And um, yeah. they're, ju- they're just so prepared to play. It, it was amazing how much they, they work at it. 
Right. And and we understand, yeah, we understand as, as uh, you know, coaches and, and teacher professionals that, um, you know, the amateurs don't have the same uh, time and resources to get out there all the time uh, and don't have, you know, an entourage around them to help them with their game. But at the same time, if you want to be a better player, I don't care who you go and get your lessons from, if you're not willing to put in some effort and time, as we've talked about many times, guys on the show, uh, you know, get out there and practice with a purpose, then you're never going to become a better player. You're just, you know, you're, you're spending money for nothing uh, on lessons and, and, uh, and so forth and, and on expensive equipment that you're not really going to, you know, ever uh, become a better player if you're not willing to put some practice time in. Um, guys, as always, thank you very much for, for joining me on uh, some great discussion tonight. Um, very quickly, uh, we'll go through the circuit. Uh, Clint, anybody wants to reach out to you? How can they go about doing that? Uh, it's just real simple, Ted. Just, uh, it's uh, ClintGoff001 at yahoo.com. And Perfect. I'll be more than happy um, to respond any emails we get. Perfect. Um, Pete, yourself? Uh, simple again, Plain Simple Golf. It's P L A N E, plainsimplegolf.com, and all of my contact information is out there. Perfect. Thank you, as always, Pete. Um, and uh, Brian, for those that want to reach out to you as well, if they're interested in, in uh, maybe following up with some conversation or maybe interested in you helping them with their game, how can they get in touch with you? Sure, Ted. It's simple enough. It's Brian Dobby, PGA, at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear from anyone listening or anyone up here in the Northeast. Uh, we teach all winter up here in New Jersey. So uh, it'd be great to hear from some, some new people. Perfect. Um, Clint and, and Pete and Brian, again, thank you very much for joining me on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. Uh, great discussion, and and um, I look forward to I don't know whether you guys, I haven't looked at the schedule. I know we've only got a few shows left, so I probably won't get a chance uh, to have you back on the show before the year uh, concludes, but uh, I'll be sending out the, the 2017 schedule here uh, before too long, and hopefully uh, you guys will all be able to jump in again for next year. i got some very interesting things uh, that we're going to add to the mix as well that I think will make it even uh, a little bit more enjoyable uh, for not only the, the folks listening, but also for, for you guys as well. But uh, thank you very much, and to each of you, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. As well to you, you Ted. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, All right, thanks, guys. thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right, bye-bye. Okay, that was my uh, Coach's Corner panel. Uh, great discussion uh, uh, tonight, guys. Thank you again. And uh, we're going to bring on my, my special guest tonight. Uh, he's a gentleman that actually reached out uh, here recently and, and has some great things that we're going to talk about tonight. We're, gonna, we're not going to get into all of it tonight because it's a very in-depth conversation. So uh, I've invited him back as well uh, on some future shows to come back in and talk about it. But in the meantime, uh, let's get into it. Uh, my very special guest tonight is Frank uh, Fernari. He's a, uh, a PhD as well as the Chief Executive Officer of Biomet Golf. And as the founder and CEO of Biomet Golf, Dr. Frank Fanari is committed to designing and developing, manufacturing, and distributing innovative golf equipment that will enrich every golfer's uh, playing experience. And uh, as he recently has said, if your golf equipment doesn't make you play and feel better, then replace it. Uh, his expertise is in physiology, uh, anatomy, genetics, uh, uh, physics, and biomechanics, of course. And uh, the study of motion provide the driving force behind Biomech's team of innovators. Um, so let me bring him on. We're going to talk uh, a little bit about his uh, company and a little bit of behind the science, if you will, uh, about biomechanics. Thank you. Uh, as always, I look forward to having some conversation. Frank, good evening and welcome to the show. Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing this evening? Doing fine, thank you. Um, 
Frank, thank you uh, again for for coming on tonight. I'm I'm really looking forward to having you on the the, the program and and talking a little bit about um, some of the behind the science, if you will, of golf. Uh, but let's start off first off and foremost just to talk a little bit about um, a little bit about Biomech itself. Tell us a little bit. Give us an overview of the company and what it's all about. Well, Biomech is a um, is a bioscience company that. Um, that really manufactures um, motion analysis products uh, in, in the medical space. So we make products that help people uh, move better, assess how they move. Uh, for instance, if you have a knee replacement and you need to rehabilitate, we have products that can help you rehabilitate, send information about the proper motion and movement back to your orthopedist, back to your physical therapist, you know, pr- products like that that allow um, your motions to be analyzed um, anywhere you are, uh, very affordably and uh, very accessibly. So um, a number of years ago, uh, we decided to take a look at developing some of these products in the sports arena and decided mm-hmm. we would um, delve into golf. And, you know, just golf is like any other motion. It can be done properly or it can be done improperly and everywhere in between. But um, what's interesting about golf is uh, – most people don't get uh, don't have the accessibility to be able to measure motion or measure their swing or have it analyzed unless you're playing at a high level or have the ability to get to a very high end uh, um, clinic or academy right. um, and have the resources and time <clears throat> to do that. So you know the um, the goal of Biomech is to make products for everyone and and you know if I told you that. You know, only 10% of school children would have access to an education. People would be horrified. If I said less than 1% of, of all golfers ever get access to real meaningful lessons, people just kind right. of accept that is, is the way it is. And, and, you know, I think in order to do anything properly, you cannot substitute education and or the appropriate experience around it. It's an iterative process. So you need to keep taking lessons and learning and getting proper information the whole time through your out through your golf life. And, you know, golf is a very rigorous physical activity and, and, you know, we're not all 19 years old and healthy. So as you move through life, right. you're going to have in the way you move and changes in, in the conditions that affect that motion. You're going to be on medication. You have surgeries, you're tired, you have things happen to you, injuries and whatnot. And these affect how, how you play the game. And I think it's important that we find a way to, to make metrics available so people can play the healthiest they can, get real-time feedback from, from instructional products, and, and, uh, and uh, teach them how to have a healthier and, and more productive experience with golf. So that's what we do here, and we use those motion studies to help develop some devices and products, golf clubs, if you will, that, that um, allow you to play the game uh, healthier and, and, uh, and more efficiently. Right. Um, and we're going to talk about one of the products that, that uh, Biomech has, has come out with here in just a minute. But I want to, I want to go back to a question that I asked the, the panel tonight on Coach's Corner about, um, and, and I think that you'll be able to answer. I know you and I talked about this when we were on the phone here recently, but um, I want to get your perspective on this is pertaining to golf instruction. Is there a, a danger with some of the information that's being made available that, that is going to make golf instruction a little bit too complicated for the masses, how do we keep? How do we find a balance, in other words, with our golf instruction, 
while at the same time tapping into some of the technology uh, such as your company's offering? How do we find that balance as instructors out there so that we don't overcomplicate it, um, but at the same time we utilize and, and tap into the information that's made available? Well, I, I think uh, golf, uh, you know, in, in motion and, <clears throat> if you will, medicine is undergoing uh, sort of a period where technology is, is merging with traditional uh, observation type mechanisms. So if I give you a, a, a physical, a medical physical, I kind of look at the way you move and I make some notes and, 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 I, and I come up with an assessment. But what I really want to do is have some technology that will quantify and really see the things that I can't see in real time. Uh, and I, I right. want to see them when you're away from my office as well. And, and I think I don't see a danger in, in the information. I, I see, uh, you know, what we do at Biomec is, is if we work and capture the appropriate information, the information is scientifically defensible and accurate, then what you do is you get it in the hands of the teaching professionals. So we right. can now show them and have them look and examine and, and see things that they never really saw before. So some of the things that, that we've been taught about the golf swing um, may be challenged by the fact that when we actually get the analysis, it's different than what we think it is. And, you know, right. everything evolves. If you take a look at, at the golf swing today, it's certainly different than it was 40 years ago. And as, right. as we understand more about physiology and physics, the technology really becomes, you know, a microscope and mirror and a way to, to, um, to sort of demystify, if you will, this motion. And we, we no longer have to hear things like, you know, I'll tell you the secret of golf and only a few people yeah. get to learn these things. <laughs> right. There's, there's no secret to it. It's, it's sound fundamental motion. It's, it's based on your physiology and your biomechanics and these sorts of things. And the technology that's, that we have just simply will augment and help the teaching professionals really get information in an actionable, meaningful way to most people. And what we think is really important, if you take a look at the average day of an average PGA teaching professional, maybe they have an eight, eight hours in the day where they can give lessons, and that's probably more hours than they really do have. So if they right. can give our lessons, they can see eight people. So I might take a lesson from PG Professional A, and I go once a week, and I'm really good while I'm there with that professional. But then when I leave, my adherence or my ability to, to do what they want me to do just falls off dramatically, much like if I'm in a physical therapy office and I have my therapist watching me. But as soon as I leave, I start to do things improperly, and, and it diminishes sure. my ability to, to retain that. So what we do is, is have products that – that really allow you to take the teaching professional with you so we can right. program and, and, and program in motion that we want the PGA professional to do. And it's, it's gives them flexibility to now send you home. And, and now you can take lessons from that person 24 seven because we're sending the data back in a very, very easy, meaningful report back to the student or the golfer. And then, the data can go back to the teaching professional at a level that they understand, that, 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 right. that doesn't intimidate them either. And now what we've done is we've connected that student with that professional anytime, anywhere. So if you're a teaching professional, Ted, in, in Florida, yep. and I just like mm -hmm. the way you teach, I can actually 
get a sensor from our company. I can sign on with you. I can send data to you. I never even have to meet you. You can be teaching me from where you are and where I am. And what it's going to do is it's going to expand the amount of folks that can get to the teaching professionals. I think in in any discipline, uh, knowledge is what wins. And, And the people that teach that, should be able to disseminate that knowledge to everyone, not just 1% of the folks that do the activity. Right. Um, Let me ask you this, Frank, because this is a question I actually asked Tuesday on my morning show, um, the the Women of Golf program with uh, my co-host, LPGA professional Cindy Miller. And one of the questions that we asked our guest was, um, you know, sort of tapping into the millennials um, has been very difficult. I mean, certainly there are a lot of pros out there that are teaching um, in that category, but uh, a lot of the millennials out there have not gravitated, unless they're specifically you know, born and raised in a golf environment, uh, to golf, one, because of the cost and so forth. Do you see what you're offering through Biomech as an opportunity to tap into uh, a generation, if you will, that is very uh, technically advanced um, and, and allowing them an opportunity to get exposed to the game through, through your sources that may, way, maybe otherwise they wouldn't have been as eager to do because they, they're not ready to go to the golf course yet. So in other words, let me rephrase this. Do you see your, your application here through the sensor as a way of them, uh, as you said, dealing with a, a, a professional of their choosing anywhere essentially in the country or, or around the world without actually having to meet them, get a sense and feel of what it is they want to do, and then maybe progressing from that point. Is that an application that you see happening and, and a way of tapping into that millennial market? I think, I think that the technology, whether it's, it's our sensors and our, our ability to do this in golf or whether we do it in, in any other discipline, is the only way that you're going to get people to do anything. We live in a world where we're not connected by all this, this evolving and emerging technology 85% of all golfers, maybe even north of that, whether you're 92 or 9, have a smartphone. They, 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 right. they, they have an email address. They surf the web every day. They are, they're on Facebook. The, the face yep. of the way we, we interact is much, much different. And, and in the world we live, everybody wants something um, personal. They want it now. So what we do is, is on the heels of – of that, you know, that movement, um, this, these products that we have are personal. The data that you get from our products is your golf swing. It's what you're doing. It's not what we don't average the data across 50,000 golfers and say, this is what you should be doing. This is what you're doing and how you can improve your particular golf swing. And, And I think if golf is to, um, is to grow, I think the only way it's going to grow is it's going to have to find a way to adapt and adopt and work uh, with all these emerging technologies and make this part of the game. So what we tell people is, really, if you think about it, Ted, this is nothing new. So when I was right. a kid, we had persimmon. We had persimmon woods, right? We had yep, right. we had to we had to go in and figure out our handicaps on a piece of paper with a with a, 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 a hand long math. Now everybody right. has metal woods. We have hybrids. We have uh, <clears throat> GPS. We have Garmin's. We have things that map the greens. We have things that do oh, follow your ball flight. You know, all these sorts of things make the game not only more fun, but it, it, they make it more objective. 
So gone are the days where people have these um, sort of slow lives where they can come home and go to the club and practice on the right. range with the professional. They don't have the time. They, they want to be able to practice golf in their house, in their backyard. They want to be able to go to the driving range and, and, and make it a meaningful experience. They have too many other things to do. And the technology right. that we have allows them to, to fit golf in where normally because of the time constraints, maybe it's something they wouldn't decide to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that well said, and, and I agree with that. I think that in, in today's environment, and, and again, it, it's really transcend, transcending all age, uh, age demographics, but people just don't have as much time. You're right. I mean, that's why you're seeing a decline um, in memberships with a lot of the uh, traditional uh, member clubs and that because people just don't want to, um, you know, have that responsibility of sort of being involved in a club. They just don't have the time for it, so they don't want that commitment. Um, the other thing, too, that I want to talk about, you mentioned, you and I talked about this um, with, with you uh, at the app and sensor. Tell us a little about how they, how they work, um, how the golfer sort of does that, how the sensors work, and how uh, you also have an app um, that I believe is available or coming out um, that will help connect, again, uh, golfers from literally all around the world. Tell us a little bit about that venture. So uh, I'll get I'll get you started. I actually want to introduce um, uh, John Douglas, who's uh, who's a partner at Biomech and is the CEO of our Sensor division. Uh, a long-standing career in the tech industry, from Apple Computer to to a number of other companies he started and, and developed. It just came in this evening here, so I, I want to, if it's okay, I'd like sure. to just have him jump in and, and and speak a bit. I mean, John has a wonderfully uh, rich career uh, starting at Apple with developing and watching technology emerge in, 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 uh, in other uh, industries. So, John, I'm just going to let you answer that question. Okay. Ted, thank you very much. Uh, nice, nice to talk to you. Um, thank you, John. So, to, to, the, so to, the, to the question that you were asking, and if I miss a piece, please, by all means, feel free to, 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 to uh, point me in the right direction. Um, Mm-hmm. Let me just start by saying a couple of things that we, we view as foundational to, to what we build in terms of the, the technology, whether it's the apps, the sensors, the ecosystem, et cetera. We, um, I, I cut my teeth early on in my career working at Apple, and what I appreciated about Apple, um, this is in the 80s, was that um, you know Apple was trying to make technology approachable. It was trying to make it friendly. It was trying to use technology as a tool to help improve people's lives. It wasn't technology for technology's sake, right? Right and right, um, you know, through throughout my my career and and, and my um, admittedly limited involvement in golf, which has been a, a great pleasure, um, the, there is a reticence by a great many people, um, especially those of us who are who are getting on in years, to use technology when there's a good reason to use it, right? And right. to the point that you were making earlier about millennials. Um, you know, millennials in many cases, and, and my kids are perfect examples of that, embrace technology and they use it for everything, right? And so there's, right. this, there's, this, dis, there's this discord, right? But the reality is that technology is nothing more than a tool. And so the way we approach the use of technology is in an effort to help people improve uh, their lives or, or get better at what they want to do. So with that said, um, we're about measuring things to what Frank was saying earlier. So we want to be able to build technology, this is what the app and sensor do, that let you measure whether you just think that you're getting better and you're not, whether you mm-hmm. really 
are getting better and, and by how much, whether you perform better under certain circumstances, different times of the year, when the temperature is within a particular range. There are all these, these things that can factor in that are very different and very metric-driven compared to how do you feel you're doing, right? So we're about measuring these right. things. And what the sensor is designed to do is to, with an eye towards that ease of use that, that I was referring to earlier, transparently sit there and watch what you're doing and simply monitor and report back to you how you're doing in an easy-to-understand fashion and tell you how to improve with easy-to-understand language rather than your uh, one and a half degrees to the left on your left knee, your two degrees to the right on your right knee. And you, you, basically what I'm getting at is that a lot of the technology that's out there today, while it may provide scientifically valid information, is not necessarily actionable to the average individual. So right. the foundation aspects of what we've built are let's build technology, which is absolutely scientifically valid in terms of its accuracy. Let's make it able to be used anywhere that you want to, and especially in those venues in, in which you're accustomed to performing, not just in a lab environment or in a flat, straight green. Um, and mm -hmm. let's provide information directly to you in real time in language that you can understand that helps you to improve. So those are the foundational tenets. So to, All right, to so take how, off on that, take off on that, Ted. So we'll just go over how the how the 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 system works. So we'll start with uh, the the putting application, which is the first one that's coming out in 2017. Okay. So we we took a look at we took a look at uh, all the appropriate metrics that you would measure in a putting stroke, and, and everything that could happen in any possible putting stroke, and modeled. Um, you know, what in, in our minds was, the, you know, the most efficient way to dissect that stroke out and things that we could measure reproducibly and, and meaningfully. So what we did is the sensor basically attaches to your club. It self-calibrates. So you just turn it on. You do a, a very, very minor calibration to it by by turning it in a couple of different directions. It takes literally five seconds to do that. Now you are ready to putt. The, the math that we built into the sensor, it knows when it's still, it knows when it's struck a golf ball, it knows when you've made a putt, and it keeps uh, all the motions of that stroke. So the putting stroke itself is the most important thing that I think that you can do when you make a putt is make a straight stroke through the ball and keep your face square to the target line. Would, 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 I right. think everybody would, would, would agree with that. And, yeah, exactly. You know, most most – most people, um, the way traditional putting works is they putt with devices that cause them to uh, lean over. These are short clubs. Uh, they're in a spine angle that's, frankly, not optimal and, and can cause cervical and lower back problems and, and back pain. And it's not something that you can keep your uh, upper bodies in a perfectly still or reproducible position, they lock their knees, which uh, prevents them from weight shifting and, and throws them out of balance. They use a device that may have an 18 or 25 degree lie angle, which means they're reaching forward with their hands and arms, trying to make a very, very smooth uh, movement using all the small muscles of their hands and arms, which um, is completely counterintuitive to any other motion we see in sports. Um, and so what we did at Biomech is, and not that you can't putt that way, because you can, 
But so what our sensor shows you is if you're going to putt like that, it shows you where the deficits are. So maybe with traditional putting, uh, maybe from six feet in, you're okay with that. But when you go out to 12 right. or 20 feet and you have to really accelerate and your face starts to move all over the place and it's deflecting and the face angle's bad in all directions, we're able to detect th- that what that's doing to a, 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 um, an accuracy of one one-hundredth of one degree. We're able to pick up the, the, um, the linear and, and angular acceleration of that putter so we know when you're deselling, when you're accelerating, when you're slowing down, when you're you know, doing all these kinds of things. And then we score those particular parts of the stroke from your backstroke to your forward stroke to your follow-through to where you strike the ball based on the empirical information we get uh, on how you move the putter. So we don't assume anything here. We don't create any algorithms that, that don't exist. We're simply measuring exactly what that putter's doing. And then if we identify that you're pulling across the putt at a particular distance, we'll tell you that. And then you can use the system to try to, you know, not pull so much to the left or not come up over top the ball or not hit down on the ball or not keep your face open or not decelerate. So, you know, these are simple things that we that we can help you fix. And as you work through this, you can then take a look at each report and you can look at what you're doing properly. So maybe your backstroke is really, really good. You take it back straight. You keep the face square. But maybe when you come through your forward stroke, you start to do strange things with it based on the, the length of the putt and, and this sort of thing. And the sensors it will pick up every single thing you're doing and tell you that so you don't have to guess but it's very very simple and it happens in real time so if if while you're putting the sensor is telling you how to correct what you're doing it's much like having an instructor behind you saying no 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 yes 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 you're going to the left pull to the right do this and rather in a few minutes you're able to to make changes while you're doing the stroke rather than trying to go back and watch a video or, or try to analyze your stroke compared to somebody else's, which we really don't like to do. Not that, right. not that there aren't really great putters or, or not, but everybody is different at every age mm-hmm. and whatever deficit you have. And the goal of, of what we do is to make you the best putter uh, wherever you are in that particular point in your life and not try to turn you into one of the top PGA touring putting professionals right. on tour who you're never going to be, right? That's just not going to happen. Right. So it's unrealistic to try to get you to do exactly what they're doing because you're never going to be them. But in short, yeah, it's a very, very, very easy system to use. So how much, let me ask you guys, how much information, uh, I mean, you, you've, you've touched on some of the different things, the different feedback information that you're going to get uh, with the sensor. So I'm, I'm, if I understand it correctly, um, the sensor, of course, is going to connect with the app. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, the sensor okay. connects with the app, and it's displayed on the, on the iPhone and the iPad and the, and the iWatch. Okay. So let, let's, taking a scenario then, so I'm going to be able to get real-time feedback from this sensor. So if I'm out, just say if I'm playing a practice round for argument's sake to, to test it out, I'm going to be able to get real-time uh, data, if you will, uh, from my experience uh, at that particular time. I'm not going to have to wait, you know, later on. It's basically going to translate whatever data it's going to uh, accumulate through the sensor into that app. So I'll be able to see it when I walk off the green, correct? You Absolutely. can you can see it while you're doing it, while you're okay. putting. It is, it is 
one of the things that we've done is we, we're very firm believers. When, whenever you're developing a training system, and this applies to animals, it applies to people, but real-time feedback is absolutely crucial to reinforcing correct behavior, right? Yeah, and yeah exactly. It's the same reason why, you know, if you're, if you're politely, if you're, if you're training a dog, you, you don't correct the dog five minutes after they did something incorrectly and it, it doesn't, because it doesn't work well. And the same is true of right. people. So our goal is to have the shortest distance possible between you performing the correct action, the incorrect action, and providing you with meaningful feedback. So it literally is in real time. And we then carry that one step further because to the point that you were making earlier about, about working with professionals, if you're working mm -hmm. with a professional who wants to watch you putt over the Internet in real time, they're going to see that okay. same information in near real time with a nominal delay of transmitting that data over the Internet. So you're literally, sure. again, able to work with somebody remotely in near real time as well. So let me, yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. Let me, let me ask you this as well in sort of conjunction. With it. So, uh, again, let's say, um, you know, I've gone out today and I've, and I've used the sensor and the app and I've, I've gathered the data for the day. Maybe I've just put it on a few different greens uh, just to, to sort of test it out. Um, so it's, it's provided me with some sort of a report. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but if I go out for the next three days, is it going to give me um, not only an individual report for each of those sessions, but be able to, to sort of analyze so I can look at the, the different days uh, simultaneously. In other words, like I'm going to be able to open it up and uh, the app up and say, okay, I want to see uh, Thursday and Friday and Saturday when I was up working on my game uh, up on the putting green. So I can see that. Absolutely. So And the coach can also see that as well and say, okay, so now I'm going to say, as an example, you, you pointed out earlier, guys, that, you know, maybe the the backstroke is fine, but maybe there's other issues happening in the, in the forward stroke. So I'm going to be able to see the differences each day and be able to draw a comparison and say, okay, yeah, I'm doing this okay here, but, but I'm doing this differently each of the days, correct? It, keep, it keeps track, Ted, of your entire golf life. So you okay. can go back and take a look at if I hurt my back back in January, you know, how did it affect my putting stroke? It does things like, you know, most people – um, they take a practice stroke, and, and we're all guilty of this. Your practice stroke is, is really, really good. And then we have, like, hitting anxiety, if you will. We get up over the ball. So we can take a look at what your practice stroke looks like and then how that differs from your actual real stroke when you're, when you're going to move the ball and take a look at what the difference is. And, and for most people, that difference is really what they have to work on, isn't it? So we can identify right. all these sorts of things so you don't have these problems anymore. Um, and, and, again, you can store these data. We can mine that data any which way that you want. And this is where it gets fun for the teaching professionals. So once this gets out there in the world, we're going to be capturing large amounts of data from golfers everywhere. And we're going to have probably the world's largest repository of data about motion in the golf swing. And I think that information is extremely important to get into the hands of, of the teaching world. So now we're going to be able to have these guys take a look at it, analyze it, and it's going to give them another arrow in their quiver. They'll be able to go, right. okay, this is what this does in reality, and this is how we can correct this, and this is how that works. And, you know, it's, it's just going to change the way people think about moving the golf club, I think. And just to right. piggyback a smidge on that, the, there's, sure. the, the other component to this is if you use the system out of the box 
and, and you don't put any additional information into it. So you, we give you the ability to create new sessions so that you can divide things into logical groups. And you know, I did this on this, but it already divides everything into this is where you were. So I want to see every time I put it at this particular location. I want to see every time I put it between these hours of the day. And to the point that you were making, you can run reports on any combination thereof. And we make that terribly easy. So okay. out of the box, you okay. can simply start putting and it will capture what you're doing. We give you the ability to also have you or a, or a colleague or a friend or what have you track the result of your putts as you're putting in addition to tracking the motion of your putts. So, you know, it's, it's okay. an unfortunate side effect of, of the way these things have been in the past that most people's definition of whether or not they're a good putter is very simply whether or not the ball went in the hole on a given occasion. And right. consistency, as, right. I, as I don't think I need to say, is, is, is clearly not necessarily represented by whether or not the ball went in the hole on any given one occasion, but rather how good somebody is over time at reading the green and, and, and how they perform under a variety of circumstances. And so what we've done with the app is we give you the ability to provide additional information, and then we factor that additional information into these same reports. So if you want the light touch, easy way of using the, the, the app and the sensor, you can simply start putting and we give you terribly rich reports able to be automatically divided out over location, time of day, et cetera. But if you take the time and we make it very easy to put in the result of the putt, is it long right, short left, short in general, you popped it, guess what? That all gets factored into the reports as well. Now here's where that gets interesting. To the extent mm -hmm. that people have a tendency to practice what they're good at because they like reinforcing that they're good at something, right? You'll see people right. who are fantastic at six foot putts go out before a round and practice from six feet over and over again. And sure. when you've got a system that's actually watching you, telling you, you know what? You're great at six feet or you're great on left to right breaks, but rather we really think you should be focusing your attention over here. Now we're actually helping to correct that dimension of you that would rather focus on, on doing what you do well and helping you to get better at that, which you don't do well. Yeah. And, and I can see from an application for the teaching professional, this is a great way for them to gauge their player regardless of what level the player is at. Um, to, to further your point is it, it allows them to see, okay, uh, yeah, the student is good from six feet in, but isn't good from, uh, you know, 12 feet and beyond or whatever the case may be. So this gives them some real-time information as well to see um, for, for two uh, areas. One, to see where the student needs improvement, but also gives them an idea when they're not there in front of the teacher to see what they're working on. Are they working on the areas that they need to be, or are they just, as you say, going out there and just practicing on the things they know they're good at? So it gives the coach an opportunity as well to be able to see what their students are working on and whether they're making the best use of their practice time as well, correct? Absolutely. And one, and one last terribly important point that we try and inject into everything that we do, and this gets back to what Frank said in terms of the, the, the way you know, he, he designed the putter in terms of the lie angle and, and, and a variety of factors. Mm. We're all about making things fun. And that means it's not fun. I, I have, you know, L4 or 5 issues. It's not fun for me to use something with, with an, an extreme lie angle and, and, and bend over for three hours at a clip, right? And right. So more fun is being able to go out and enjoy the game of golf and stand up straighter and, and have a, a better stance. But with the app and the sensor, the other thing that we're trying to do is we want the act of practicing and performing better and getting better at putting to in and of itself be fun. Because to the extent that you can do something which we know will help you perform better, 
and you don't even realize that you're practicing because you're having fun doing it, that's a home run for us. So yep. there's there's a there's another dimension to this, Ted, uh, from a um, uh, it's a, a medical standpoint. You know, motion really is the fifth the fifth vital sign. You know, the the manifestation of disease, uh, the 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 medications you take, injuries that you have, uh, you know, it is displayed in how you move. So, we have projects with uh, some pharmaceutical companies taking a look at using sensors to. De- detect the dyskinesia or improper movements in diabetic patients and Parkinson's patients be- before well, they they can detect changes in their blood sugar level or um, before they realize that they needed to take another dose of L-DOPA. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, we are able to pick up these changes in movements at a very fine level. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of of, of older golfers, we looked at an older population some years ago in in, in Naples, uh, looking at lower back problems, um, uh, using a device that that has a different uh, different spine angle or more upright spine angle. If you take a look at most of the golfers on tour, they stand up much taller than they did back in the right. 60s and 70s, um, and and that's going to allow them to play the game longer and healthier. So if we could develop, uh, when you bend over a lot, your back muscles get very tired and sore, and you're not really aware of that, so your back changes position. So when you swing, you start to want to lift up straight, so you start to blade or shank the shot or hit it thin, if you will. It's just because your back's fatigued. So if you take a look at um, you know someone like um, uh, 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 Bryson DeChambeau, who's who's a proponent of having uh, the clubs be a, a, a almost the same length. Uh, the, one of the big advantages of that is with a more upright stance, your back's able to perform better. And I was at Pinehurst a while back with a group of sports writers, um, gentlemen who came up in, 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 I have a background in, in pharmaceuticals. Our first company was a pharmaceutical company. And they were asking me about, um, pain medications, and they have some neuropathic mm-hmm. pain. They're older and, and have joint pain. So they were taking a drug like gabapentin, and it has a noticeable change on muscle function and, and can actually facilitate weakness. So when is when during the, the dosing of that drug is their movement more efficient? When can I practice better when I'm taking my normal routine medications, whether it's insulin, whether it's L-DOPA, whether it's gabapentin, whether it's whatever you're doing is as you age, these all affect the way you move. So our systems right. can help you optimize optimize that, find equipment that allows you to play better, um, and, and, and really give you a reason why these things are happening. A lot of people, if they can't see something or don't really understand it, tend to diminish it and go, no, no, that can't be happening. In reality, that is exactly what's happening. And so this is a way to get people to understand what they're doing, how that affects the way they move, in particular how they play the game, and give them a chance to, to optimize that as they, as they go through life and face different changes as they, um, as they age or they're subjected to different disease states or injuries. Right. Um, Frank, let me ask you, do you see this then, based on what you were just talking about, do you see this then, uh, your organization and your company, um, in, in addition to what you, you've already discussed tonight, creating an opportunity for um, the teacher professional to 
um, better equip, and I'm talking about equip in the sense of golf equipment, um, meeting these different challenges and needs that may arise, as, you know, as you said, as we get older. Uh, traditionally, club professionals, you know, as, as we age, um, you know, and, and our students age, you know, we might uh, swap out a, and, and use a, a softer flex shaft or something like that. But based on what the data that you're getting in and, and your experience in the pharmaceutical industry, you've discovered that there's other challenges as well. So a sense what you're, you're proposing here is an opportunity to better equip the student as well as their circumstances change later in life. So instead of playing with, you know, uh, traditional equipment, um, they may want to have a longer shaft if they've got back issues. So they are standing more upright, you know, things like that. Do you see an application there as well with what you're doing? Sure. We have, we have a product that will be available, um, uh, to the medical community, mainly orthopedists and physical therapists and trainers um, early 2017, but we're going to make it available to golf professionals that can actually do a very, very rigorous range of motion analysis on somebody before, right. during, as, as they go through their, their golf instruction. So if I have a lower back problem or if I'm, you know, age 55 and I don't have any of my elastic collagen anymore and I can't bend properly and I've lost some quad strength and all these kinds of things, what we can do is now the golf professional can quickly and easily assess where that patient can move and, and, and not only do that and can take off on all the good work that the TPI has done to tailor make sure. training programs that not only can they do um, through TPI or for, through a trainer, but through the golf professional themselves or, or with them alone. So they know how to right. exercise and, and try to not, not just correct these things, but hopefully minimize them as well so they can move better, play the game better, strengthen the muscles that they need to make the proper motion uh, and, and that sort of thing. And it's an iterative process. So if I, I don't exercise and I go take lessons and I get a trainer, is, is my training regimen actually helping me? So we can now measure right. that and say, well, maybe you shouldn't be doing these exercises. You should be doing these. And these are helping and these right. aren't. And there's, there's, there's no real limit to the information that you can apply to whatever motion that you want to make um, an improvement in. And we can do right. it. The beauty of this is the beauty of this is it's, it's affordable. You know, it's less than 10 bucks a month. You get access to all this information and it's accessible because you can take it anywhere you go. And, and, you know, standing on the shoulders of some of the pioneers in this industry, in the golf industry that have, that have wonderful technology that's um, that's available uh, on site or at a teaching academy, and uh, this kind of takes that concept and gets the people to when they're there using that equipment and generating that data, they can now use our product and take it out wherever they are, and now the, the right. two bits of information can can merge, and the teaching professional that teaches somebody at the academy can now give the student art sensors they can go out and practice and when they come back and go into whatever machinery or technology that they use there's some consistency in, in what they're looking at right and, and i like the fact that you know that they are able to take that information and, and i mean obviously we travel more than what we did you know 20 30 years ago even and uh sure. you know a lot of people whether it be business types uh you know business people or uh even vacationers if they're going somewhere they can use this technology 
um, you know, to better help their game and so forth without always having to go to a clinic or having to go to a facility to get access to some of that same information. I want to very quickly talk, because I knew this was going to happen. We're running through time so fast here. Uh, it's a very interesting discussion, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about uh, another product, and you kind of touched a little bit on it, but you didn't really come right out and say it. Um, you have a putter uh, called the AccuLock Ace Putter. Uh, it, very unique design, very different than what I've seen out in the market. Talk a little bit about that, Frank, if you will, and uh, what some of the feedback uh, from some of the professionals that have that have assisted in that as well. Sure. So one of the things we wanted to do was was take a look and validate the the motion assessment tools that we that we develop, and th- these are. These are um, very complex sensors uh, capturing a, a, a lot of complex data in, in the, as you would expect, the math behind that is, um, is fairly rigorous and complicated. But at the end of the day, when we do it right, um, the information is, is correct, it's defensible, it's accurate, it's statistically significant, and, and it's, it's, for lack of a better word, it's real. So we decided to take a look and, and test that. Um, and developed a, a club, if you will, that came from those data. So we decided to take a look at putting because if you're like me, putting is more than half your sure. game. And it's yep. something that, you know, that's, that's, that we've all been taught is sort of this mystery. Well, putting is a very simple motion, and actually it's the smallest part of the golf swing. It's the impact zone of every golf swing. So you literally – putt the golf ball every time you swing the golf club. You just, most people just don't realize it. So we designed um, a three-dimensional box where we thought if we kept the, the putter in this box and using the information and knowledge that we know about the proper muscles to use to make that stroke, we developed a series of equations and modeled that, and the solution to the equations was this putter. So unlike unlike um, in, in, in most devices um, come from engineers where they're heavy into material science and based on sure. sort of historical ways clubs were made, uh, they make a club and they try to get you to <clears throat> use that club from the, from the outside in. We at Biomech, and we are our name, so biomechanics, the bio, you cannot make the mechanical motion without understanding the biology. So we have a, a lot of uh, PhDs in biological science here in Biomech that understand the proper way to make that motion. So we designed a putter that really comes from your body out and facilitates you to be in an upright stance. It facilitated, it, it removes your, your hands and wrists and small muscles from the putting stroke. It virtually eliminates the moment of inertia uh, you put in a straight line as opposed to an arc. So if we can right. we can help we can help you, um, you use what we call more like an orthotic approach where the device actually helps you make the motion better. Then you win. So we've had a lot of success with this putter. We've had a number of PJ professionals are playing it and have played it on tour, um, practice with it. We have it uh, uh, worldwide. We have professionals across the globe using it. We've won quite a few um, uh, professional tournaments, tournaments with it in the last year, and, and uh, it's, it's helping a lot of people, not only helping them putt the ball much, much better, but, but it, it's, it allows you to 
your body to be used so there's a mechanical advantage to putting the ball. So this becomes energetically efficient. It's easy to use this putter. Um, you know, and if you go on to www.biomexsports.com, you can see, uh, you know, how right. it's used, videos and how it's used. And I think most people have seen it out there. But it, it, if you did nothing else but try it out, it's going to put you in a, in a much, much more balanced way to putt the ball. We don't uh, uh, putt using locked knees and hands and arms. We, this stroke facilitates a, a nice weight shift. You're putting with your core and the mass of your body the same way you putt or you swing the golf club for every other shot. It allows you to gauge the distance better because the face stays aligned and it's against your leading arm. You hardly have any face rotation. Where you aim this ball, that's where it's going to go. Uh, for a lot right. of reasons, we've removed a lot of the the issues that are out there with traditional putters, and uh, and we're hoping people can can take a peek at this. And once they try it, and I'll, I'll, not that I'm trying to sell this because sure. uh, I do believe the product does work empirically. Once you putt with this putter, you you won't go back and use your old one. This is simply a much much more efficient, easier, better way to putt the golf ball. You know, and 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 everybody's obviously looking for, I guess, a, a, I don't want to use the term competitive edge, but they're looking for an edge. And one of the things that, and, and I mean, there's a lot of great products on the market, and I'm certainly I don't want to say that there there aren't some other great putters out there, but you're right in what you said earlier is that traditionally most of the the manufacturers or producers of of other equipment out there um, designed the the product first, and then you've sort of got to move in motion based on their design where basically what you've done is the reverse process. You're, you've studied the motion of the body and built a product based on that motion. Would that, would that be a correct, correct. assessment? And, and, and that, that's exactly what we've done. And, and, you know, that's the way we believe the, the science should work. And, you know, we're not professing that, that the, our putter is for everybody or everybody needs to have it. Sure. What, what we can do with the, with the app uh, even though I hope everybody would do that, what we can do with the app, sure. the app will show you exactly what you're doing with your putting style, with your putting stroke, and with your putter. And it will allow you to become the best putter you can be with yours. And if you reach a point where you say, you know, I'm really good with my putter from, you know, inside of 12 feet, but when I get outside of 12 feet, this particular way I putt or this particular putter itself is it working for me? It will allow the teaching professional or you or, or the equipment person to say, well, maybe you should try this device. And then rather than going, well, I, I like the way it looks or I like the way it feels, you take it home and you put it on our app and you can see whether it's better or not. Right. There's no guesswork here. And, and now we're right. really getting the proper machinery or, or, or you know, equipment into the people's hands and using this app, it will help them become a better putter with whatever putter they have. And I just want to touch on, on one quick point about uh, the sure. data in, in regards to even this. So in, in medicine, we're able now to capture uh, data on everybody's electronic medical records. So if you switch hospitals or clinicians, physicians, you can take your medical record wherever you go. With, with the tools that we have on the sensor side, 
if I'm taking lessons from you, Ted, in Florida, and, and I decide to move to California and I want to go use a different professional, I can take my golf record with me. So I don't sure. have to go to a new person, and they don't have to take a look at what your weak and strong points are. They can go back, examine right. this data, and now that person can continue to teach you what you need to teach. And in medicine, we're all about continuity of care as you move sure. from one professional to another, and golf <clears throat> is the same thing. So being able to take record, your records from one place to another is, is, is going to help a lot of folks just not just stay better, but, you know, keep that continuity in place. Yeah, and, and that's extremely important because you're right. I mean, you know, we all – uh, again, and this is again not as a criticism to to my fellow instructors out there, but you know sometimes uh, personalities don't mesh, and and somebody wants to try somebody else, um, and and they don't want to feel like they have to start from ground zero again every time they you know they they move somewhere. And it's the same thing as if you're going to a doctor, you want to be able to take those that information with you. So, um, and and I see that that being a very valuable. Um, you know, opportunity for, for the golfers out there to be able to take that information that they've, you know, amassed over maybe months or years or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, it, whether they're moving to a different state or they're just um, maybe moving to a different uh, instructor, being able to have access to that information. We've only got a few moments left. And, I, and, and as I said to you on the phone the other day, Frank, I, I want to invite you to come back. And, and John, you're welcome as well in, in future conversations. But um, we have a, a segment at the beginning of my shows called the Coach's Corner Panel, where I have a, a variety of uh, PGA and, and even LPGA professionals that come on the panel discussions uh, each week. So, Frank, you and I will talk about this uh, at a later point, but um, I, I want to have you guys come back on periodically uh, and, and any others from your organization or affiliates um, to, to have some real more in-depth instruct. Uh, conversations on the panel discussion and give some of the professionals a, an opportunity to maybe ask some questions as well. So I want to extend that invitation um, to you as well, Frank. And again, we'll talk about that afterwards. But uh, I want to take this last couple of moments that we have to talk about something else, which I think is fantastic. I was reading through the notes. And uh, it's Biomech's partnership with the American Parkinson's Disease Association. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and, uh, and how people can get involved to help in that cause. Well, you know the the, the um, Parkinson's, as you know, is a is a disease that affects how you move. It, it actually sure. um, stops you from stops you from moving. <clears throat> and the dyskinesia are the are the erratic movements that that we see are basically caused by the medication itself. Treating Parkinson's um, is very difficult, and and dosing someone sure. appropriately is also very difficult. So. Um, in, in nature, things stabilize if they have three points of attachment, and it basically defines, um, you know, the directionality or the structure of, of molecules in nature. So, minimally, you need three points. For people with Parkinson's disease who have dyskinesia in their limbs, whether it's their legs or, more importantly, in their, in their upper extremities, um, with our device, the putter, when... Yeah. You can stabilize them in the third spot. So they have their two feet. That's two points. Mm -hmm. And if we can stabilize them, which the putter does, against their leading arm, these people now are, are able to, to control that dyskinesia, and they can actually get out there and, and play the game of golf again. Most of them can swing a club because they're holding a club, but putting is very, very difficult for them because sure. they hold yeah. it in their hand. The putter's held in their hands. 
And I will tell you, everybody has a problem putting because they try to putt with their hands. It's the, the mm-hmm. muscles in your hands and arms weren't designed to do that. They, they are prone to all sorts of things. And in Parkinsonian uh, patients, they're really prone to problems. So what we do with the, with the APDA, it's a wonderful organization. We're out and about in the country uh, showing people how if they use this putter, it stabilizes their upper body, forming a very, very stable triangle between the ground, the putter, their arms and shoulders, and they're able to get back out there on the course and putt again. And more importantly, they can practice with this. So if a Parkinson's patient practices with for this putter for a half an hour or so, they, it actually reduces their dyskinesia. So when they're hitting an iron or a hybrid or a wood, um, they're, they're much more able to control their movements in, I believe, it in, in parts and advantage to their medication uh, as well. So it's a lovely thing to watch, and, and we would encourage everybody to, to try to, who has Parkinson's, to go on our website, go to APDA, and really try this device. If, if putting a golf ball has caused you to stop playing the game, you no yep. longer have that reason to do that. You can get back out there and start playing again. And with Parkinson's, staying moving helps minimize the, the or slow down the progression of the disease and helps with your medication. So the last thing you want to do is stay home. Get back out there. Get back on the horse. Get back on the course. You know, keep playing, and the devices we make are going to help you do that. Well said, and, and what a great way to uh, to end our segment tonight. Um, Frank, I want to thank you very much for coming on this evening, and, and I wish I had more time uh, on this particular uh, moment to, to extend to you. Unfortunately, I don't. I've got to wrap things up, but uh, uh, both to you and, and John, thank you for jumping in as well uh, earlier on. I appreciate your input as well, and as I said, Frank, I'll be in touch with you shortly, and, and uh, we'll talk about maybe having you come on again in the, in the new year, but uh, very quickly, uh, Frank, when is the, uh, your product coming out in 2017? You said the, the uh, app and that. When is that going to be available, and where can uh, the folks go to learn more about uh, Biomech and, and some of the great products and some of the research you've been working on? The, the putting app will be available um, early 2017. It'll be available at all worldwide golf stores. Uh, and on the web, so you can go on to www.biomexsports.com. Uh, it'll be available at initially at select uh, clubs, pro shops or around the country and around the world. And, and you know, one last thing to go back to how sure. we started the conversation, Ted, you know, in, in any, in any um, uh, industry, you want uh, technology to, to help and move things forward. So at, at Biomec, we really believe that technology uh, transforms tradition, and I think we're, we're very happy to be a part of that as golf uh, moves forward and, and, uh, and new traditions are, are carved. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I'm very, um, you know, very excited about what what you guys are doing. I think this is great, and and uh, you know, I I can definitely um, see the the applications, and there's really a myriad of applications in future that you can um, sort of derive from what you're currently doing. Uh, and just continue to expand. So you guys are doing some great work, and, and it, I think it's going to be um, very paramount in the golf industry over the next few years, um, the type of research that you guys are bringing to the table. So, so uh, I, I say congratulations and kudos to, to you and your team, Frank, for, for um, in my opinion, hitting a home run. Um, thank you guys for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight. I appreciate your time and, and input into the show. And uh, I look forward to having you guys come back on and talk. And very quickly, again, Frank, uh, for those that you want to uh, learn more about Biomech, uh, the web 
the uh, website again? www.biomexsports.com. And, Ted, thank you so much for having us on and and wish everybody uh, around the country a happy Thanksgiving. You as well, gentlemen. And, again, thank you for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight, and uh, I'll be in touch soon. Thank you, and and have a great holiday. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest from uh, the CEO of uh, Biomech uh, Golf, uh, the CEO, Dr. Frank Fernari, and uh, great product, and uh, I, I can see some great things happening uh, with, with uh, what they're uh, proposing to do and, and uh, here in the near future. So uh, we'll stay tuned for that, and I'll keep you updated uh, when that app and, and so forth becomes uh, closer to its available date. Um, but just very lastly, again, I want to thank the coaches on uh, Coach's Corner panel this morning, or earlier, excuse me, this evening. You can tell I'm getting tired. Uh, Clint Wright, Pete Buchanan, and Brian Dobby, thank you very much, guys, for all of your input. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, we will not have a show next Thursday, of course, uh, in, in observance of that holiday, but I will be uh, the following Thursday, which will be uh, in the month of December. So stay tuned for that. Thanks to all of the supporters and, and sponsors of the program. Uh, continue uh, to keep doing the great work and helping spread the word. And uh, again, thank you, and I look forward to seeing you next time here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody.